Jess, it's happening. Whoa, Tina, what are you doing in my car? Space is here now. No closet will be left behind. Did you say closet? Yes, the Container Store custom closets are up to 25% off. It doesn't matter the size or shape. Space is coming to them all. You're not serious. Space isn't a joke, Jess. How long do we have? Through October 13th. All right, buckle up. The Container Store Custom Closet Sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha. The Container Store, where space comes from. And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. Broadcasting from the mecca of college football, Atlanta, GA. It is another installment of the J.C. and Sherbert podcast. He is J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports. I'm Mike Morgan of ESPN and the SEC Network. And finally, J.C., we have games to discuss. We will preview later on, but we will review for the uh, first part of this podcast for sure. And there's a lot to review in what should have been a rather non-plus, uneventful week one in college football because you didn't have the litany of blockbuster games that we normally have in week one. Uh, Really, two of the better games we're going to see early are going to be this coming Saturday. But all that being said, there were some fireworks (laughs) in the way of Negative results for Power 5 schools. Group 5 made a statement against the Power 5 this weekend. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about a rough week for the SEC. We'll talk about more troubles in Tallahassee and the Willie Taggart era, which appears to be an era that might not last really long if things continue the way they are. And then we'll look forward to Week 2, which has two blockbuster matchups that no doubt will have national championship implications. J.C., how are you? Doing well. Uh, nice weekend of college football. Watched uh, some games here around Atlanta and just a, a good time uh, doing that and hanging out with some friends and um, got to see some very interesting finishes Uh uh, like you mentioned, kind of a, a group of five, group of the group of five statement games, but also you know Auburn and Oregon, which was maybe the marquee matchup of the day, came down to the wire, and uh, certainly um, a lot of interesting things. It's week one, and we always say after week one, we don't really know because it's week one. But I think, just in general, my takeaway from it, Mike, is, is two things, and just quickly, I'll throw this out, and we can discuss it. Um, throughout the podcast I think number one the internet and it's easy to blame everything on the internet right oh the internet oh the internet but I think the way kind of the world works these days is no matter how much a coaching staff tries to insulate your team from it and no matter how much you try to say focus 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 I think a lot of these guys you know because they don't play scrimmages or exhibition games in college football so they haven't really tested themselves against anybody else so they don't really know and you know they don't really know what it's like to go out and hit an opponent in the mouth and nobody tackles these days in practice which is fine I mean I understand health and safety of the game and all that I think you end up having football teams in college week one that are woefully unprepared or woefully under overconfident in their abilities and they don't take you know take teams seriously et cetera et cetera and I think we saw that, you know, I think we saw that in the Tennessee game, I think in, against Missouri, uh, I mean, against uh, Wyoming, Missouri gets up, 
and they're like, oh, okay, well, we're just going to coast. And then next thing you know, the, the Cowboys have run off, what, 30-something straight points. And um, even Florida State against Boise, you know, I, and Boise's obviously got a little more of name recognition, but, you know, I think they thought they were going to have it. And I think you're going to see more of that in week one um, moving forward. And, you know, it, it does make the game a little more intriguing, I think. Um but when you go through a summer and an off season where guys are at a group of five schools working hard, just as hard as everybody else, and where they do have athletes, and all people talk about in the narrative in the media is, oh, we, you know, they shouldn't even play these games, and these games are boring, and attendance is down, and look at all these five stars, and look at all this, and look at all that. I think it does create kind of a false sense of security on one end, and I think it creates a bunch of fired up guys on the other that want to come in there and and cut somebody. And a lot of these schools, to their credit, and look, I'm guilty, too, of, of criticizing the group of five, but a lot of these teams, to their credit, they went in there and took the fight to the, the power five. And, you know, hey, uh, um, you know, I, I think that's something that should serve as a wake-up call. Uh, if, if you're a fan of the sport, if you're a coach or an administrator, and especially if you're a player, you know, because obviously, you know, players play the games. And uh, obviously there were some really lo- big lapses in terms of um, focus and, and accountability and, and all that happy stuff. Well, a couple of things to your point. Number one, it reaffirms my assertion of the last couple of years, which is this. There's not as big a difference as people like to think there is between number 15 and number 50. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's a huge difference between number five and number 22. It's almost like they're playing at a different level very often. But once you get down to about 15, uh, there's not a ton of difference. And if you're going to play these schools, the biggest advantage you have is what? It's depth. Well, depth's not a real factor in week one. So a lot of these schools that are pulling off the upsets in week one – once you, if you meet them in week nine or week 10, the advantage tilts heavier in the power five school. But in week one, everybody's fresh as a daisy. Uh, and so in my estimation, if you're scheduling, either go for the gusto, like Auburn playing Oregon, where you got a marquee game, can do nothing but help your program. And if you pull off the win, obviously it does uh, a ton of good for your season, for your program. But if you're not going to go that route, don't go middle of the road. Go bad or go home. Schedule somebody you really know you can handle. Now, Tennessee did that anyway and still lost, so that, that's a whole other can of worms, and we'll get to the debacle in Knoxville. But the Mountain West, for example, four wins for the Mountain West over the Power Five, and Wake Forest barely survived their matchup against the Mountain West. Otherwise, it could have been a handful of victories for the Mountain West. The American picked up two victories, and the Sun Belt, of course, with Georgia State, picked up a win against Tennessee. So that's seven victories for those three power, excuse me, group five conferences over power five teams, which, again, there's just not as big a difference as people want to think. There's a lot more people in the stands, typically, at the power five schools. We know they make a lot more money than the group five schools, but 15 through 50 it's just not that big a difference. The other story that ties into that, of course, and you and I were talking on Saturday about this, and, and this was before a couple of SEC schools even managed to pull it out 
late because Mississippi State could easily be easily be talking about uh, a loss in their game. Uh, there were other SEC schools that kind of squeaked it out at the end. And of course, Florida, despite turning it over four times and doing everything they could to lose the game in Week Zero, uh, they wound up beating Miami. But but there were there were a number of SEC schools that struggled. It was it was not a great week for the conference in a number of areas. But I w- I would just say this: while everybody will enjoy piling on on the conference where it just means more, and, and everybody's had a lot of fun with that, and certainly Sean Elliott had a lot of fun with that, the Georgia State head football coach when they defeated uh, Tennessee, and, and uh, he kind of rubbed everybody's nose and snot <laughs> a little bit. Um, by the way, Arkansas barely beat Portland State. That's the other one I was thinking about. Uh, look, the middle of the pa- – just because you're in the SEC, the best conference, doesn't make you a powerhouse. And the middle class of the Southeastern Conference, quite frankly, this year is just not that good. It, it, it's just not that good. And I've been waiting, as you know, and I've talked about this a number of times. I keep thinking the East – I've been jumping the gun on this, apparently. keep thinking the East is making a resurgence, uh, that Tennessee is going to – not get back to national championship Tennessee, but certainly respectable. Want to believe that South Carolina is gravitating not to three straight 11-win seasons, but certainly better than what they were a couple of years ago. Uh, we know where Georgia is. Kentucky won their game. I don't. They're not going to win 10 games this year, I don't believe. And then uh, Vanderbilt just got overmatched by, by Georgia. But the, the, the East... There's still a referendum on whether or not they are truly moving up the ladder as a division. And once you get past the the usual suspects, Georgia, Bama, LSU, we'll throw in Auburn, and maybe we'll throw in Texas A&M when it's all said and done. We'll see. We'll see what they do against Clemson. We'll see what they do in conference play. Outside of that, there's not a great team in the SEC. There's a very good team in the SEC. There's a bunch of teams that are good at some spots, and we'll pick up some wins this year. But, again, 15 through 50, not a whole lot of separation. Yeah, I agree with you there. I mean, I'd even I'd go close. I'd, I'd even go up to – well, I'll, 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 I'll preface this. I'll, I'll throw it. Uh, if you look at the preseason poll, I think there are some teams that were ranked seventh, eighth, ninth that, you know, there's no difference between them and number 50. I do think there are teams that are going to climb into the top 10 that will make your point absolutely valid. 15 through 50, not a lot of difference. You mentioned the SEC East. It's absolutely not a situation where anybody can say they're back or even going there. Uh, At least Florida won. You know, at least the Gators got the victory. Um, You know, I'm sure South Carolina would trade places with them right now. Um, playing a rival on a neutral field or, you know, a closer rival or an old rival or whatever. Um, Wyoming and Missouri, that was a game. A, a lot of people say it's weird going out to Laramie. Um, well, why schedule it, you know? Why would you ever schedule you know, that? Um, you know, I, I understand Ole Miss playing at Memphis because that's kind of a game that goes back and forth. But, uh, I, you know, you're right, and in, in, in we will see about uh, Texas A&M. Obviously, is going to have a huge test uh, test this weekend. They got they played on Thursday night, Mike, and I got to watch some of their game against Texas State. And the word I just kind of got was solid. You know, th- there were there was no time in that ball game where you know you worried about Texas State doing anything. Kellen Mond was very sharp. 
it was a workmanlike effort, and it was impressive. I, I, I thought, you know, I don't know how good or not good Texas State will be, but the Aggies looked – you know, they weren't out there making a bunch of mistakes and fumbling and stumbling around. I mean, they, they went out there and took care of business. Um, you know, huge win for Gus Malzahn, you know, in my opinion there. But you're right. I mean, I, I've got some teams I wrote down before we started recording. Wisconsin impressed me. LSU impressed me. Washington State impressed me. I thought Stanford's win over Northwestern was big. And then I, I got to give my hat, t- tip my hat to Virginia and North Carolina. The last two teams to defeat South Carolina. Virginia got a pretty solid win up at Pitt. You know, they were they were as advertised. And then, you know, I, I thought Mac Brown and his coordinators thoroughly outcoached Will Muschamp and the Gamecocks. And they have some players that I think in that division in the ACC could make some noise. So that, you know, I, I would say the potential top 25 team will be Virginia. If that is, if they, I didn't look at the poll earlier today, but unless they're not, unless they're ranked right now. But, um, you know, Wisconsin took care of business. Washington State, Stanford, LSU, I thought was very impressive as well. So, you know. Yeah, I, I and I would add another kind of unique twist to the winners this week. And this puts in perspective why I believe Georgia is far ahead of the rest of the Eastern Division. Whether you want to believe they're ready for the big time of winning national championships or not, that remains to be seen. Look at what Jacob Eason did for Washington and Justin Fields did for Ohio State. These are essentially two cast-off quarterbacks that, that were all they all could be on the same roster right now for Georgia. In a different era and a different time where we didn't have transfer portals and kids didn't bail the the minute the minute they didn't start as a freshman, they would have stayed on the roster with Jake Fromm. So you basically could have had three three guys who were capable of lighting up scoreboards at big at the big time college football level. Uh, Eason, 295 yards total, five touchdowns, and then Justin Fields. Excuse me, Justin Fields was the 295 and five touchdowns total. Eason completed 75 percent of his passes, 349 yards and four touchdowns. All these kids, by the way, committed to Kirby Smart in Georgia. That's why Georgia, to me, still is the program that has the best shot of at least getting on par with Alabama. Uh, we'll see if LSU can take advantage of some things this year, but it would help if they don't get shut out at home against Alabama like they did a year ago with Joe Burrow. We'll see what they do this year in Tuscaloosa. Uh, but I thought that was – I started thinking about it like, my goodness, all three of those kids, and we already know how good Jake Fromm is, all three of those kids have committed to Georgia in the last couple of years uh, in recruiting. But the, the biggest win – not only for the SEC, but I think in college football that week was was Auburn over Oregon. And if you're Oregon, you got to be saying to yourself, how did we lose that game? I mean, they had it won. And then all of a sudden, a freshman by the name of Bo Nix, Bo Nix, who was not sharp most of that game. I mean, he looked like a freshman for a lot of that game. Threw it into coverage, a couple of bad turnovers. But when they needed it most, old Bo, the first freshman to start Auburn season opener since 1946, he led them on the big run, led the Tigers on a 21-0 run overall, and Auburn wins the game, and thus, and now Gus Malzahn is smart again, and let's not fire him at least for another couple weeks. Uh, that was that was by far and away for me the headliner, J.C. I didn't see a whole lot of other teams. I mean, I, I watched Oklahoma go up and down the field against lackluster competition. I watched 
uh, Ohio State go up and down the field against lackluster competition. I didn't learn a whole lot about those teams, but Auburn showed me something uh, when they it showed me that Bo Nix is still going to have some some hiccups as a freshman, but at least they know who their guy is. I don't think there's a controversy right now on the Plains. No, I mean, Bo, Bo Nix was very impressive. I mean, you know, you're going to take your lumps as a true freshman starter at times, especially against good competition. Gosh, if you're Oregon, you're just kicking yourself right now. Mario Cristobal has recruited very well. I think it's his it's second year there. Um, uh, I think they, they, as a program, have a lot of momentum. I think a lot of people think they can win the Pac-12 North this season. And, boy, you're sitting there and looking, and they're up 21-6. You're like, well, you may have a Pac-12 team in the playoff this year if they can kind of get through it and run the table. Uh, and then the, the legend of Bo Nix starts to be written. Um, and this kid, you know, it's Patrick Nix's kid. We all watched Patrick Nix play back in the day, and we know he was a an assistant at Georgia Tech, an offensive coordinator at Miami for a while, coaches high school ball now. So he's a coach's kid and the son of a former Auburn quarterback who was clutch himself. And he's got a lot of intangibles. You know, he's a guy that's that's not a huge runner, but he can run. If you've owned your car for a while, or maybe you got a great deal on a used vehicle that feels new to you, AAA has a vehicle protection plan that fits your needs and your budget. Let's face it, unexpected and expensive repairs can pop up. That's why AAA vehicle protection plans provide comprehensive coverage for maintenance and repair to take some of the risk out of driving a classic. Find out more about our vehicle protection plans at AAA.com slash vehicle plan. Something extraordinary has happened to Judy Sizemore's closet, making it feel more like a closet. 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 An area that once caused claustrophobia now has enough space Space. Space. to hold all of Judy's striped boat neck sweaters. And Judy Sizemore has a lot of striped boat neck sweaters. The Container Store Custom Closet Sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha, through October 13th. The Container Store, where space comes from. And then he's got this live arm and a lot of good instincts, and I thought he displayed that down the stretch uh, for Auburn. And Auburn's defense, of course, uh, came to play as well. So, yeah, that was the biggest win of the weekend, you know, that we could kind of tell. I mean, the other quote-unquote big games were not really all that big, Uh, not a lot of great matchups. You know, Notre Dame-Louisville last night, uh, I thought the Irish did a good job after Louisville really challenged them. I think Scott Satterfield's going to win there, by the way. No doubt. I was impressed, you know, given the shambles that program was left in. And, and now you look at it and, man, he uh, they were very competitive against what's supposed to be a very good Notre Dame team. Um, the Irish, of course, pulled away in the second half. You know, other than that, just, just not a whole lot. I mentioned Wisconsin and, you know, they went down to USF. And USF, Charlie Strong's the coach down there. That's not a program that, that I would consider on par with UCF. Uh, I know there's times they've struggled. But but Wisconsin walloped them. And if we remember, Wisconsin was a disappointment last year, Mike. So they have a lot to prove. And going down there and getting a 49 nothing shutout on the road, uh, to me, is, is impressive. Uh, Mike Leach at Washington State, they, they beat New Mexico. And I, I think we all know that they're not all that good. But there's been times they've struggled with FCS teams and group of five teams in the opener because that, that offense didn't click it. And they went out and were very efficient and won 58-7. to so, um, and then I think Stanford Northwestern was a was a was a game that mattered. Um, 
and the Wildcats went down 17-7. So big win for David Shaw as well. I, I want to talk about the Georgia game real quick. And I saw some Georgia folks that were like, ah, didn't score a touchdown in the second half. I, I don't I don't know that that game was really ever in doubt. Just because Vanderbilt was not doing much on offense. Um, three field goals in the second half. You won 30-6. to six. You had a big Bulldog crowd up there in Nashville. You know, Vanderbilt's Vanderbilt. We all know that. But it's still an SEC win on the road and an opener. And as we saw this weekend, openers, crazy, crazy things can happen. <laughs> and, and, and Georgia's very workmanlike effort was good. That nobody They couldn't stop DeAndre Swift or the other backs. And Fromm was very efficient. And certainly Georgia's defense was impressive. So I, I thought that was kind of a sneaky, impressive win uh, by the Bulldogs over the Commodores on the road. Yeah, I agree. And I think second half, I mean, you, Vanderbilt has – Look, they've got three really good players that are going to be in the NFL on, on the offense, but they just don't match up against a dominating defense. They get beat on the line. Uh, they get overwhelmed 11-on-11. 11 11. So while they have an NFL tailback and an NFL tight end and an NFL wide receiver, uh, quarterback situation is still a little bit unsettled. Offensive line is going to get beat in, against powerful teams more often than not. And... It, it's it's same old Vanderbilt, but uh, Georgia, if they really want to put their pedal, excuse me, their their foot on the pedal and and run up another couple touchdowns, I'm, I'm pretty confident that could have been done. Uh, but at no moment, if you watch that game, at no point did you feel like Georgia was in jeopardy of losing. And you're right, it was like like it often is. Essentially, it's a home game for the opponent for Vanderbilt. It's got to be just discouraging as can be. But you can blame the fact that Nashville's become a super cool city. <laughs> oh, yeah. Everybody's going to the Vandy game these I days. Mean, it's, you know, look, I go there every time I do a Vanderbilt game, no matter what the sport. I love it because I love Nashville. It's just a fantastic, super cool town. So if you're an opposing fan, you get you get to make a vacation out of it. And very often you walk out of Commodore Stadium with a pretty happy feeling inside. So, uh, that's going to be a, a common deal. And, of course, Vanderbilt's a smaller private school. It doesn't have the same uh, enrollment or fan base to to try and uh, pull from within to fill up the stadium. And then the stadium is another dim. You've heard people like Jordan Rogers say it's it, an alum, of course. It's about time to actually put a little more money in, into the facilities there and the stadium, and uh, maybe that'll happen. Maybe that won't. But uh, Georgia impressive, LSU. I know it's Georgia Southern, but they roll up 55-3. to three. Uh, against mighty Georgia Southern. You know, Texas is a team that certainly is going to be, uh, in my opinion, the only team that can really give Oklahoma a run in, in the Big 12. And this is now you're starting to see Coach Herman. He's got his quarterback. The offense is looking like what you thought it would look like maybe a year or two sooner. Uh, Washington certainly has some some Pac-12 prowess they blow out Eastern Washington, Penn State, 79-7 to over Idaho. The Vandals, who, by the way, actually moved down from FBS to FCS. Iowa State struggled with Northern Iowa. How the heck does that happen? Triple overtime. In was, state, was Kurt Warner playing in that game? In-state rival. Yeah. Northern Iowa Panthers. Yeah, that, that's an athletic program, Mike. Like, they do well in basketball, too. They'll, oh, yeah. They'll shock you in basketball, too. But it was, yeah, tough. I mean, you know, that's one of those where if you're Matt Campbell and the Cyclones, you're just like, well, at least we won. Let's kind of just mm-hmm. move forward. <laughs> yeah, exactly. you know, luckily, we won. But, yeah, that was a, quite a game. 
Utah does uh, what it needs to do in, in an in-state rival, speaking of which, 30-12 to 12 over BYU. Never an easy game against BYU. Uh, Clemson, uh, Georgia Tech, you know, <laughs> I, I think they've got the right coach, but it's going to take some time. You are, you're taking over personnel that hasn't run a legitimate passing offense in, in quite some time. Uh, and so they, they look like they have a quarterback that simply doesn't look comfortable throwing the ball downfield, and they get slaughtered 52-14 by Clemson. I mean, I guess you could say one of the storylines in that game was Trevor Lawrence did not look very sharp. I mean, if you're trying to make a Heisman case, going 13 for 23 for a buck 68 doesn't exactly um, yep. get it off to a, a booming start. But I don't know. Is anybody really worried about Trevor Lawrence? <laughs> nah, I mean, he, he, if he if he does really well this weekend, nobody's going to care. Nobody's going to care. And the, the two pick for me in his the two interceptions would have been more than you know would have been more the red flag. But Mike, mm-hmm. those things happen in openers. That that that's kind of what impressed me about Kellen Mond because. You know, Mon just sort of uh, was very efficient. You know, he, he did throw one pick, but 19 for 27. They kind of went up and down the field. They had, you know, they had a, a they were kind of running like a well-oiled machine. Clemson, though, just big play, Georgia Tech death. I, you know, if I'm Jeff Collins, they brought in a quarterback late named Jeff Graham. John Graham, Jeff Graham. Joe Graham. It's, his name's Graham. Um, Mr. Graham. Mr. James Graham. Goodness gracious. He's from Fitzgerald, Georgia, true freshman. I thought this guy was what they need in terms of if they're going to go dual threat quarterback, run the quarterback, all that good stuff, a guy that can throw and pass. If I were them, I'd just go ahead and put him in (laughs) because it's going to be a long year. And uh, I thought when he got his time, you know, he's the one that, that threw the touchdown late. He was good rolling the ground. You know, to me, Tobias Oliver, their starting quarterback, just can't throw it. I mean, I would use him in another role. Um but, you know, nobody really tunes in to hear about Georgia Tech, so I'll talk about Clemson a little bit, too. Uh, Travis Etienne, you want to talk about a Heisman guy on Clemson's roster? That guy got off to a big start, 12 carries for 205 yards, three touchdowns, including a 90-yarder, average 17.1 a carry. Here's the secret sauce for Clemson's offense. They can run the football. Um, they've averaged 8.4 yards per carry, 411 yards rushing, Trevor Lawrence even rushed a little bit, three carries for 24 yards. I felt like, you know, if I'm A&M going into this game, I mean, you kind of almost have to pick your poison because the Tigers are pretty good at running it. Travis Etienne may be the best running back in the country. So Clemson may have the best running back and quarterback in America. And, you know, with uh, Ross and Higgins, and they may have the best receiver too. Who knows? So it's uh, it was a, an impressive debut, though not flawless. It was still impressive by the Tigers. Still impressive uh, indeed. Uh, I, I mentioned Oklahoma briefly. Should mention Jalen Hurts and how good he looked. I don't think that's surprising. Yeah, the thing is, uh, like, if you wanted to just put up great numbers and, and be a Heisman Trophy candidate, and you could pick any offense in, in the country to run in. It might be Oklahoma's and Lincoln Riley. And part of the reason is they're going to give up a lot of points. So you're going to run a lot of plays Mm -hmm. and you're going to throw the ball over the field to talented wide receivers. You're going to play in a conference that doesn't play a lot of great defense. So it's, it's the, the formula is there. So Jalen is going to have uh, a a sensational year in Oklahoma. I believe Uh, I don't know if he's as good as Kyler Murray. I don't think he is. I don't think he's as good as Baker Mayfield, but he's going to put up the numbers and they're going to win a lot of games in Norman. From that standpoint, I'm happy for him. 
I think he's a good kid, and it, it's got to suck to do as as many good things as he did in Tuscaloosa and still get beat out and lose his job. Uh, but to his credit, he didn't pout about it, and he didn't uh, make a fool out of himself. Uh, and now he's making the best of the situation at Oklahoma. But but that's not a surprise. I mean, I, I just think that I don't know when's the next time we're going to see Oklahoma not have good quarterback play, hmm. especially if they can just keep picking off freshmen because they never have to uh, – transfers, excuse me. They never have to play freshmen. Huh. They, that's, a, that's a great advantage to have. When you're when you're coaching a program and you're calling plays for that program, so more of the same for uh, for Oklahoma and its quarterback play. Uh, that's the positive. Uh, now the negative, I, wa- I want to go back. I mean, we have to talk more about Tennessee because I really thought coming off five and seven a year ago that this was not going to be a breakthrough year, but certainly a year of improvement. In other words. This was going to be a bowl team, and it still might be. I don't know. But they have Garantano, who showed me something last year. They have running backs. They have wide receivers. I know they're not particularly good, strong, or deep on the line of scrimmage. But how does it get to this point? How do, I mean, how does it get to this point? Is there a more abused fan base in the last decade than Tennessee volunteer fans? I, I just don't even know. What do you do at this point? You, know, you you could go message board crazy, fire the coach, fire the, this guy, fire that guy. First of all, you're not going to fire the AD, Phil Fulmer. Uh, you're not going to fire Jeremy Pruitt. You did everything you could to get him, right? And Jeremy Pruitt, a lot of people thought that was going to be a great hire. You certainly didn't want uh, – you didn't want uh, – I just drew a blank uh, – the former Rutgers coach. Greg Schiano. Greg Schiano. Didn't want, that was a, didn't want didn't Mike Leach. Yep, could have had Mike Leach, uh, which I would have loved to seen for a number of reasons. So you got your guy, and everybody seemed to be really good, really settled in on that. And then you lay an egg in week one. So it's, this is not a trap game. There's no such thing as a trap game in week one. Mm-mm. In week one at Georgia State, and some people will tell you it wasn't even as close as the final score indicated. I don't even know what to say about this, JC. I mean, I just I would be despondent right now as a Tennessee fan. Yeah, and and it's one of those things where momentum. I mean, you got. I mean, and look, I know Jeremy Pruitt inherited some culture problems up there, and Butch Jones recruited you know top ten talent, raw talent, and then didn't develop it, and the environment got toxic, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I don't know whether that was a character thing with with the guys they were getting in, or whether that was just an incompetent coaching staff, or what. Um, but you look back to last year, Mike, you know, we mentioned Kentucky winning 10 games earlier. <clears throat> and Tennessee last year in game 10 defeats T- Kentucky 24 to 7. Okay. Tennessee played lights out on defense that day. I know Kentucky wasn't an offensive juggernaut by that point. Uh, their offense did well. Garitano protected the ball 24 to 7. So since that game, right? So that game. At that point, Jeremy Pruitt's five and five. He's he's been, you know, he had a tough schedule with West Virginia and and Georgia and Florida and all these other and Alabama and all these other teams. Really tough schedule. They're at five and five. So you got Missouri and Vandy, and you win one of them and you get to a bowl. Missouri comes to town. Final score: Missouri fifty, Tennessee seventeen at Neyland. Okay. Next week at Vandy, bowl on the line. They have a losing streak against the Commodores. 
you'd at least think they'd play them close, right? <laughs> Final score, Vandy 38, Tennessee 13. It really wasn't that close. And then you got Georgia State. Now, look, me and you, well, you and I know Sean Elliott. Now, he's a fiery guy, and it does not surprise me that he took Georgia State to a bowl game in his first year. Uh, it doesn't surprise me he's he's doing good with that program. And quite frankly, that 10-year-old program at some point was going to pull off an upset on somebody, but they hadn't in the whole decade they've been around. I mean, you know, you see Georgia State play these games, and they, they, they aren't like App State or Georgia Southern or, you know, one of these uh, mid-majors that you go, wow, they better be careful there. No, Boise State, they are not, <laughs> okay? Southern Miss, they are not, you know? And they go up there, and the game's not even close. I mean, it, 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 it was close at halftime, um, but it was 38-23, and then Tennessee scored a garbage touchdown to pull within eight. That's that's tough. And when you think about the fact that those are the last three games, and now Pruitt's five and eight, and you got BYU coming to town, and I know BYU lost to Utah pretty bad at home last week, but you got BYU coming to town. That's a better team than Georgia State. You drop that one, and then you start to head in the SEC. I mean, if you go winless again in the Southeastern Conference for the second time in three years, all that progress with the win over Auburn and the win over Kentucky last year and the recruiting progress they've made sort of goes out the window. Now, I don't, I don't know that they're going to fire him, but it's hard for coaches, no matter how many years they've coached at a school that ha- that cares – to survive a disastrous season in the Southeastern Conference, I don't care what I don't care what you've done. I mean, Nick Saban, if he went three and nine in Alabama, yeah, he'd get another year, but that would be it. And if they didn't get back to the playoff the next year, he'd be fired, no matter what he's done. Um, that's just how it is these days. And so, you know, that, that if I'm Tennessee, I, I'm kind of like all the good feelings that Pruitt got in his first year when they upset some people and did show some progress from the previous season. I mean, we're not talking about Alabama and Georgia and Florida and LSU a few years back. I think it was Butch's first year. One of the, it was one of the Dooley years. Man, they had to play Florida, Georgia, Bama, LSU, and then a good South Carolina team, like five straight games. We're not talking about that, Mike. We're talking about Missouri, Vanderbilt, and Georgia State. Missouri, Vanderbilt, and Georgia State. Now, of those three, Missouri's the best team, and that game wasn't close. It was 50-17. to 50-17 <laughs> at home at Neyland. I mean, they've given up 88 points at Neyland Stadium the last two games to Missouri and Georgia State and scored 47. It's unreal. I know. And I and I have a lot of friends that are Tennessee fans. I actually texted with some of them Saturday morning. And I had no idea Georgia State was going to go up there and pull off the upset. But uh, I feel bad for them. And, you know, maybe they can turn it around and get to a bowl. Uh, like I said, it's week one. But you're just not feeling any momentum for them right now at all. No, you're not. And, again, this is – because it's been such a turbulent decade um if there was ever a fan base that's just ready to jump off it's it's tennessee fans they've just they've seen this story written too many times and now you you, somewhere out there uh mr champions of life is saying you can't blame this one on me Mm. somewhere out there Derek dooley is saying you can't blame this one on me 
somewhere out there, knowing Lane Kiffin's personality, he probably cracked a smile uh, <laughs> and, then a, and then a cold beverage. I, I, it's just it's it's unspeakable that Tennessee could go through this rough a patch. It really is. There, there's just no reason why it should be this bad. Uh, but it has been. And I, I circle the wagons, still 11 games to be played. Don't overreact. one game. All those things apply here. But, man, oh, man, it, that's a tough sell to Tennessee fans at this point because they've just seen way too much of this. Uh, you cover a program quite a bit that's that's seen a lot of turbulence as well. Um, although overall, the Will Muschamp era, I think, has kind of been on a pretty steady move. You take away the bowl game from last year, what he has done in, in the first three years, if you would have offered that up when he took the job, considering where the program was, I would have signed up for it. But the North Carolina game, which I thought that's the kind of game, you know, people on college game day were picking North Carolina. A lot of people were picking North Carolina to cover the spread, if not win the game. It's one of those where you're playing a name, a, a name school, albeit known more for basketball than football, that is down, only won a couple of games a year ago, that has a new coach that certainly has some respect. Um, and won a national title before he was summarily shown the door out of Austin. I, I think that that's one of those games where it's almost like, to go back to my initial point, why do you play it? Now, as a fan, I love these kind of games. But as a program, it's not an automatic W. It's just not. South Carolina is not good enough at this point to play one of those middle-of-the-road Power 5 schools, and that's assuming they are even middle-of-the-road. We don't know what North Carolina is going to turn into. We know they're really young at a lot of different spots, uh, and somehow that youth shined in the clutch time of that game to the tune of two 90-plus-yard drives late in the, in the fourth quarter to kind of to finally pull it out. But it's, it's one of those kind of dangerous games in a weird way. Uh, and if you win it, everybody says, well, you're supposed to win it anyway. It, it's North Carolina's not good. And if you lose it, the fan base is ready to just absolutely go ballistic, which I'm guessing you're closer to it than I am over there. Oh, yeah. They went ballistic, right? I mean, everybody should be fired. And w- what the heck? Uh, I thought we were going to have a good year, and now we suck. That seems to be the general reaction 24, 48 hours after the loss on Saturday, right? Yeah, and then on top of that, Jake Bentley is out for at least eight weeks and probably the whole season with a broken foot. So there goes your senior quarterback. And so you're going to have to start a true freshman now, which, you know, it's, it's worked out for some other teams around college football, even even teams that – even North Carolina on Saturday, their true freshman quarterback, Sam Howell, had a heck of a game. <laughs> yeah, look, here's the bottom line. Um. Will Muschamp, now we're in his eighth year coaching in the SEC. And and I think when you when you look at what Will Muschamp does six days a week, and we're talking in season, you know, he's a guy that uh, recruits well. He evaluates well. They have a good infrastructure in place at his programs. He hires good staffs. He's well-liked, good guys. Players love him. Something happens when you get to Saturday. And, and I, I, you know, South Carolina – for the first two years, you know, they overachieved, like you said. I mean, there were games where you kind of went, well, they're not competitive in this one, but that's okay. They're rebuilding. But, you know, 
on game day, they they'd have some. They kept beating the teams they should beat, and you know, got some turnovers and, and did some things. And then last year, they they had some expectations and slipped to seven and six, but they had massive injuries on the defensive side of the ball. And so you're looking at it, and you're going, well, unlike at Florida, where he inherited a team from Urban Meyer that had won two national championships recently. And, and where he's able to go automatically recruit, at least on defense, in the top ten, this is more of a slow build. And as long as the program doesn't sink down and as long as they beat the teams they should, you know, they're on the right track. And, and you know, things don't last forever in college football. And, and you got to think someday, um, you know, they'll, they'll get their shot. They'll beat a Georgia or a Clemson and, you know, and, and then away they go. But when you when you lose to Virginia in a bowl, and that in and of itself was not bad because bowl games are unpredictable, but when you go back-to-back, you go back to the same stadium, and you play like crap basically the whole day. Tons of mistakes, both sides of the ball, but you're still up 20-9, to nine, and then you give up two 100-yard drives to a true freshman quarterback-led offense in the fourth quarter uh, for a team that's won, I think, two games against FBS competition the last two years. Um, even if Mac's on the sidelines, and I and I applaud Mac Brown and his coordinators, they thoroughly outcoached Will Muschamp and his group on Saturday, and I think they're pretty good coaches up there. I, I think Mac Brown's kind of gotten it right. You know, I think he's hired good people around him, and I think North Carolina will at least get back to a level where they're competitive in that division in the Coastal. Maybe not this year, but they're better than I expected. But if you're South Carolina, you absolutely cannot lose that game because, you know, you got to recruit and you're searching for relevance sort of in your own region because you got Georgia over to the west, you got Clemson to the northwest. And uh, the unintended positive consequences for that, if you're the Gamecocks, Mike, was, well, the North Carolina schools kind of are down right now and Clemson and Georgia are recruiting nationally, so if you take both Carolinas combined and the Gamecocks can go get more than the lion's share of the good talent there, you can get enough talent to compete. There's no question about it because it's just like being in a big state, just like being in a Georgia or Louisiana. Well, now you've got one of the best recruiters in the history of college football that not only is now back in charge at a school with a good brand that has good upward mobility, because they're in a terrible division and they're going to win games and they're the University of North Carolina, they just beat you in their first game. So any kind of argument you have on the recruiting trail now saying, oh, well, you know, South Carolina is the destination for talent, and it's out the window. And on top of that, you know, you, you start now with the Will Muschamp era at South Carolina. It, it, it's year four. So it's not like Florida where, you know, you really all the inexcusable losses he had at Florida. You're like they're all inexcusable. Well, at South Carolina now in year four, you're like, well, you've built the roster, you've got guys. There's no massive injuries, and and yet you're losing games by just bizarre. I mean, bizarre. And, and you look at it. Will Muschamp has more unexplained crazy losses than any other coach I've ever seen in my 42 years on this earth and probably 32 of those covering college football. I just, I've never seen anything like it. Um, And at Florida, you remember when he got fired, he lost to South Carolina at home, and that was not a good team Steve Spurrier had. And the only time that year 
South Carolina blocked a field goal. They blocked a field goal. And the only time that year they blocked a punt, they blocked a punt. They ended up winning overtime. And then he got fired the next day. He lost a game to Missouri 42-13, to and Missouri had less than 100 yards of total offense. You know, never forget the LSU game that year. They had one and then didn't win. I mean, it's just t- last year they blew us. South Carolina blew a 17-point lead in the swamp. I mean, it's just th- there's just unexplained phenomenons that occur what Will Muschamp coaches a football game? And, 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 and there's two ways you can think about this. Number one is it's just luck. He's had bad luck, and his luck will change, and eventually things will change because he does do everything right. And the other way to look at it is, you know, maybe these things are happening for a reason, and maybe, you know, maybe there's a reason here, you know. And, and, and I think that you can't really tell that after week one. You have to wait and kind of see what Ryan Helensky can do at quarterback. Maybe he can get him going, et cetera, et cetera. I think the nation's toughest schedule, quote-unquote, with like what they were saying in the preseason, I think that's bunk. I think that belongs to Texas A&M clearly because the SEC East is not like we talked about at the opener. Uh, but but I think for the first time you're kind of looking at it and you're like, this is kind of the same Will Muschamp that was at Florida, you know, because you, you, you do still have – yeah, I mean, you still have some of the same things that keep happening on game day. Well, another thing that, that I would – another parallel since you mentioned Florida, Will Muschamp's success at Florida relied heavily on a young man by the name of Jeff Driscoll. And Jeff Driscoll eventually would transfer to Louisiana Tech, have a good career, rest of his career there, and actually – I don't know if he's still on a practice squad anywhere, but he, he, had, he made some money in pro football. Let's put it that way. Okay, so he wasn't – he wasn't chopped liver – but for whatever reason, it didn't translate on the field at Florida, more often than not. That's how I look at Jake Bentley. And I'm not trying to pile on for a kid that just has a serious injury now, which apparently happened on the last play of the game. So the injury was not responsible for some really poor throws late in that game. Missing open receivers, throwing it into coverage, just mental errors. And, and I've seen this now for the last couple of years, and I keep waiting for Jake Bentley to make it to that next level. And if he if he did stay healthy, he was going to break every passing record in Gamecock history. But but that's not at the end of the day, that's not what you're going to be remembered for. You're going to be remembered for wins and losses and how you performed in clutch situations. And you compare him to say his predecessor and Connor Shaw, and it's just night and day. And I, I I don't know where that comes from. He's a son of a coach. He's a, a bright young man. If you ever talk to him, he's cerebral as can be. But something in some key moments turned south for him. And, and I, I watched the end of that game, and I'm thinking to myself, these are not throws I expect a four-year starting quarterback to make. Uh, but that's what happened, and we'll see if South Carolina will lick their chops against uh, – lick their wounds, I should say, against Charleston Southern. Well, they might lick both. I don't know. That's a personal <laughs> question. Uh, and then a week after that, it's Alabama comes to town, so – that's that uh, has the potential to be a not so great situation. Uh, speaking of not so great situations, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention what happened with Florida State. They've blown two 18 point leads now in the last however many years, both of them under Willie Taggart. Uh, Boise State, this is not the Boise State of 10 years ago, this is not the giant killer Boise State that was basically the UCF of its time. They're not there anymore. 
simply put, they're not there anymore. Different coach, different level of talent, uh, different structure in college football where it's a lot harder for a Boise State to be good and be a giant killer. But they go in there and sure enough, down 18, find a way to come back and win. I don't know what's going to happen the rest of the way for Florida State, but I've said this before. I'll say it again. It's incredibly rare. I'm trying to think. I mean, I know I can name a number of coaches that were fired after three years. It's incredibly rare to be fired after two. Willie Taggart is heading quickly to that destination. He really is. Uh, Florida State fans are just simply not going to put up with much more of this. They just can't. No, and look, I I, I do think that there were some positives uh, in the game. Kendall Bryles' offense, I thought, looked good um, for most of the game, and then it kind of, you know, Boise did what it had to do to get back in it and win the game. I mean, look, Brian Harson at Boise State, good coach. They're still good, I mean, even if they're not the UCF or, or the Darlings, but Man, oh, man, I mean, you're sitting there one minute going, well, the Kendall Browse thing may pay off because Florida State looks pretty good. And they had all the adversity with having to move the game to Tallahassee, different kickoff time, you know, and and you're thinking, well, you know, that impacted Boise's preparation probably a little bit because they have to come someplace else. They have to come across the country. Uh, but, you know, you're thinking good, you know, good, solid first win. And then the bottom falls out. And, I mean, again, at the top of the show, we talked about mental focus and and things like that and openers. And, you know, that had to play a factor. But you also can't deny that Taggart's blowing leads and he's getting blown out and his body works terrible um, at Florida State. And I just don't see – I don't think he is the answer. I, I think Kendall Browse is the answer at offensive coordinator. But Florida State's also got to decide they're going to play defense at some point. I just don't think they're very well coached. They have they have more talent, you know. I think than, than what they're showing. Um, and, and you know, people, there was the pile on story in the national media over the summer that just blamed the whole thing on Jimbo. And I'm sure Jimbo Fisher realizes he made some mistakes, especially in recruiting with evaluating the character of some of those guys because that's what it is. It's character. Those guys certainly were talented. Um, but, but you're at Florida State. You're at Florida freaking State. Okay, I think a good, a great coach. Like, let's say Bob Stoops came out of retirement and got that job instead of Taggart. It wouldn't surprise me if Bob Stoops. I mean, I know that there's Clemson in the division, but went, went eleven and one, or if he happened to knock off Clemson his second year, won a national championship. The programs like Florida State are not four or five year rebuilds. You know, we talked about South Carolina being a four or five year rebuild. A program like Florida State isn't. Right. You know, I mean, they're one of the biggest brands in college football. Kids grow up dreaming of playing for them. I mean, it's the tomahawk chop, it's the helmets. I mean, Florida State is a place you can win big. And I just think it was a bad hire based on local connections and, and a narrative in the national media that, that was kind of false. I mean, had Taggart been at Oregon for four years, turned that around and won big there, yeah, sure he deserves the Florida State job. One year at a program that should be 8-4 and four every year anyway um, did not mean he should get it. And I'm going to tell you this right now. There are people behind the scenes, and I don't know if they're, they're the deciders in all of this, there are people behind the scenes that would like to see 
you know, Clemson assistant Jeff Scott get that job. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I think that if they do make a move and we're one game in, and I hate to even talk about this, but uh, I think that, uh, you know, that's a guy you could look toward because Jeff's dad, Brad, of course, was an OC there under Bob Bowden for a long time. There's a lot of family connections. He's connected back to the old staff, the the, the big staff, you know. Uh, and that could be – people ask all the time, why don't Clemson's coordinators leave? Because they're waiting for the Florida State job and things like that <laughs> to open. You know, they're not going to go take a crap gig, you know. But um, – so I don't know. You know, I, like I said, you know, they may turn it around and we not may not even be talking about Taggart. But it was – if I'm a Florida State person, I'm with you. I just don't know how much more I can take of that. They got beat by a freshman quarterback by the name of Hank Bachmeyer. Who threw in his first, you know, first true road game, first start ever? He threw for over 400 yards. Boise State went into Tallahassee, had the ball for 40 minutes and three seconds, and ran 108 plays. <laughs> 108 plays. 621 yards of total offense. It's just insane. There's no way Florida State can be that bad. Yeah, I mean, they were lucky to beat Sanford last year. It, it's just, I, if if the main feather in your cap for your coaching hire is, well, he was from Bradenton, and that's in Florida, and that's not too far from Tallahassee. If that's the main feather in the cap, because I don't know what other people were, were trying to sell the American public on Willie Taggart. I, I really don't. I, there, there was nothing else about that hire that felt good. He didn't have a dominating run at Oregon. He didn't have a dominating run in Western Kentucky. I mean, there's just, that was a real curious hire from the start. They didn't just lose last year. They looked like completely discombobulated, unorganized. It was as if they were practicing 50% of the time, less than every other team in the country. You figure, okay, how do you, how do you disguise a head coach's weaknesses? You surround them with incredible coordinators. So they, they made some moves on the staff, but at some point, particularly in the college game, your head coach has to, he's got to lead. He's got to be able to do some things. He's got to make some adjustments. I don't see any of adjustments or anything there whatsoever. I'm going to be very curious. That's a reality show in itself. What goes on in Tallahassee the rest of the year? I will say this, speaking of coaches who have, I don't know if Willie Taggart ever had a high stock, but but a, a coach that lost some stock, and that's Chip Kelly. It, it kind of went under the radar, but UCLA, Averaging two and a half yards a play in a loss to Cincinnati, um, uh, I don't even know what to say anymore. I mean, Chip Kelly, that that window has just been shut, and why he chose UCLA, he's still he's still a big enough name and a hot enough commodity where he could have gone somewhere else that's a little bit more easy to win, more of a proven track record of late than say a UCLA, which has been a notorious underachiever in college football. But that's what he chose, and that's where they are. And the 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 passion, the excitement that what once surrounded Chip Kelly when he was at Oregon, and eventually led to a pro job, actually two pro jobs. It is long, long gone. Ah, uh, yeah, and and I don't know what happened to him in the pros. It it just doesn't even seem like a Chip Kelly offense, whether it's personnel or or what the deal is. But I watched that game with Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Better coach football team, better quarterback, better defense, you know, better lines of scrimmage, I mean, across the board. And um, 
You know, it, it, again, it's, it's game one of year two. I thought last year as the season went on, I mean, they, they, had, a, they had a big win over SC, uh, beat their rival. Um, it looked like maybe things this year would turn around, and, and maybe it still will. But there's just something about Chip Kelly now that just doesn't it, – it's, it's strange because, you know, I watched Steve Spurrier when he came back from the NFL uh, to South Carolina, and, and – you know, there were some games where he, they just, game guys just didn't have it. And, you know, he would kind of struggle calling ball plays in terms of, I think, I think he just kind of quit and said, I'm not going to call him, you know. But, but most of his first two or three years down there, he was a masterful play caller, you know, given the talent that he had. Uh, and you could still tell, like, oh, the couple of years in the NFL's offense didn't work. He's back in college now. It works. Now, as he got older, he evolved and had some different guys doing some different things, et cetera. You go and you look at, um, you know, Bobby Petrino, uh, and I know it ended poorly for him at Louisville. But when he came back uh, and went to Arkansas from the NFL, I mean, they were masterful out there on offense. Even mm-hmm. though he, he had the bad year with the Falcons, he comes back, he kills it. Uh, Chip, you know, I don't know whether it's because he was at two different franchises. I don't know if he kind of got hooked into this NFL-style RPO offense that these guys are trying to run these days, which is it's a pro offense, people. it's You know, you can still make some things happen in college with what you were doing at Oregon, which is one of the – one of the most fun to watch offenses I've ever seen. Even if you, even when you weren't executing, it was awesome. But it just doesn't look the same. It doesn't look the same. It doesn't feel the same. It just doesn't seem like Chip Kelly's there. And it, it's uh, it's weird because I think when you hire him, that's what you expect. Now, certainly when they were talking about him going to Florida, I mean, I thought that would have been that's my goodness, that's that's tremendous. You're going to run that system down at the swamp. I was like, that's. Those are the guys that have won national titles at Florida, the innovative offensive guys, and Chip Kelly's about as good as it gets. Man, I, it just doesn't seem that way at UCLA now, and I hope it does. I hope it does because I know some UCLA fans, and I like them, and I think that that program can be good. Um, but there's just something not going on there. I mean, he's 3-10, and 10, Mike, 3-10. and 10. Uh, it's. I don't think anybody could have predicted that bad of a start um, for Chip Kelly. And I thought he was – he was kind of railroaded a little bit in the NFL. LaShawn McCoy uh, did everything he could to paint him out to be a bad guy. I, I, I don't think that he, that he couldn't have been successful in the NFL. He reminds me a little bit of an Andy Reid. No personality, but damn it, he can, he can scheme you. If you give him some weapons, he'll out-scheme you. That's what, that's what Andy Reid has done for years in the NFL. He makes a quarterback look better than he actually is. Um, but doesn't have the, the so-called intangibles. But still, if you can call ball plays and, and and put up a lot of points on the board and get productivity, there's a spot for you. But Chip Kelly, he has not been able to fall in those footsteps, and his stock is declining rapidly. And, and unlike a Bobby Petrino, who kind of you know, was self-sabotaged, self-inflicted wounds, Chip Kelly hasn't had the off-the-field controversy. He just... He just has had his stock plummet based on productivity within the ranks of, of his job, and that's uh, surprising. By the way, the news is not much better for Southern Cal. I mean, it's better in that they won their game, but they lose their starting quarterback, JT Daniels. Uh, he's gone for the year. 
So with ACL and meniscus here, you wonder where does that put Southern Cal now? They've already got a coach uh, in Clay Helton on the hot seat coming off a five and seven campaign. Everybody knows it's, it's have major improvement or it's done. Now you get that news and I, I can't see a really bright future for Southern Cal this year either. So those are some of the headlines from a interesting week one in college football. I wouldn't call it a great week one. Uh, we didn't have a ton of great matchups, but it was an interesting week one for certain. Looking ahead to week two, JC, clearly two games stand out above the rest. We mentioned one of them in Texas A&M and Clemson and Death Valley. And then you've got Texas taking on LSU, SEC, Big 12. These are the kind of matchups we salivate over all offseason long. We had to wait till week two as opposed to week one to get them, but should be a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to those. And, you know, that Sacramento State, Arizona State matchup uh, on Friday night on the Pac-12 network, man, I'm, I'm looking at that. You know, the Sun Devil, the line has dropped to 35 and a half. <laughs> well, then I'm sure Herm Edwards will have a great halftime speech. <laughs> yeah, I'm just kidding about all that. But, yeah, it's you know, we've got some good games. You know, Cincinnati, Ohio State has the potential to be a little intriguing um, as well. Uh, West Virginia struggled mightily. I don't even remember who they played. Maybe Wyoming or uh, Rhode Island or somebody in Neil Brown's debut, but they did win Vanderbilt at Purdue. Hmm. Um, That should be interesting. But, yeah, look, Texas A&M Clemson, it would not surprise me considering how I thought A&M was so efficient, which means they were fine-tuning against Texas State, which means all summer they've had a pretty good summer, and it's legit. It's not coach speak, oh, we had a good camp. Everybody has a good camp. It's they've gone out and gotten their offense going. Their defense looks good. It would not surprise me to see A&M – challenge them for a bit but and if the game was in college station you know if I'm Clemson I'm a little worried about my inexperience on defense along the lines of scrimmage and things like that but that crowd up at Death Valley I mean they're going to be jacked up 3 30 p.m. kickoff it's going to be loud it's tough to go in there it's the number one team in the country um but I'm curious to see how Texas A&M measures up because you're right Mike I mean I'll say I'll throw Auburn in right now as the fourth. Uh, I'm so I, I'm I'm really sold on LSU. We'll talk about them in a sec, and then Bama and Georgia in the SEC, and that's it right now. So if A and M wants to get in the club, uh, I don't know that to get in my club they necessarily have to win, but if they go in there and play well, that's something. And, and LSU Texas is a game that I I love seeing scheduled. You know. It's, it's a border deal, you know, LSU. And Tom Herman, we all remember he was uh, very close to taking the LSU job until Texas said, oh, well, we're, we're going to offer it to you. Um, and so I think that's going to be very interesting uh, as well. You know, that's that's sort of – I don't know. I don't want to call it a, an elimination game this early, but the winner of this game, like say, say LSU wins it and they only lose to Bama during the season and then Texas goes and wins the Big 12 – you know, it's going to make for a very interesting playoff conversation late. This is one of those teams, Mike, we talk about, well, nobody knows outside of the top six or seven who to. This is one of those teams, two of those teams that I think are solidly, that I know are solidly inside my top eight. I think they are two of the very best teams in the country, um, and I can't wait to see kind of what happens there. By the way, Clemson, 18 point favorite over AM. I used to play a game, name that spread on my my talk show uh, here in Atlanta, 
and without looking at you know online, we try to guess the spread within a point, point and a half. I must admit that's higher than I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. I thought, thought it'd be a little bit lower than that. Auburn, excuse me, um, uh, LSU opened up at four, now a five point favorite against Texas. And I'm with you on the big picture stuff. There is a path if LSU loses to Alabama again, and again the game is at Bryant Denny Stadium. They pick up this win against Texas away from home. They do what they're supposed to do in the rest of conference play in the SEC. There is another path to the to the playoff. Depending on every, I don't think Notre Dame is going to be a factor this year. Notre Dame is going to be partially judged by their debacle performance in the playoff last year, and so I I don't think we're going to have a situation where you have uh, a couple of power five conferences completely shut out. So I, I think there's a, a very good chance one conference gets two teams. If it's one conference getting two teams, we know where that typically uh, leans. It leans SEC. And there's not going to be a second team out of the Eastern Division. Uh, and in the West, look, I, I'm kudos to what Auburn did against Oregon. I just don't know. When I look at that schedule, I don't see Auburn going to be in position to get to the playoff this year. Plus, I still think I love Bo Nix. I love what he did. But at some point, Bo Nix, like every freshman quarterback in the Southeastern Conference, particularly the Western Division, is going to get humbled. So, I mean, the best bet for a non-champion, other than the SEC championship game loser, would be LSU if they win this game. So you just if you win this game, you still got it. You don't have to go undefeated to get to the playoff. Uh, I'm with you on that. And then, it, uh, look, if Clemson wins this game, goodness gracious, who else is going to give Clemson a run this year? It, <laughs> it, it is it is pretty yeah. smooth sailing. Yeah, you just don't see it. I mean, there's just no – I mean, they, they do play at Syracuse, which is giving them fits. But, you know, those games, Mike, the last two years, Clemson's had their quarterback, starting quarterback go out. I mean, mm-hmm. they lost the one in 2017 when Kelly Bryant went out, and then last year Trevor Lawrence goes out and chased Bryce quarterbacks for the rest of the way. So, yeah, I, I do think Syracuse has good has had good game plans against Clemson, and and you know has given them fits in more ways than just you know the quarterbacks out. But man, you know you get through A and M, and then you go up at Syracuse and get a big win there. It's it's smooth sailing back to the playoff again for the Tigers and. I just don't know that anybody's going to challenge them until we get to like a semifinal situation. I, I don't think so either. Uh, before we have some closing thoughts here, do want to mention one of our proud sponsors. That's Brent Skinner at BPSkinnerClothiers.com. Saw him a few weeks ago. Uh, continued great selection of all kinds of clothes. And he's he's got a little football special going on. I want you to listen to this closely, folks. If you buy any suit or sports coat from Brent Skinner, mention this ad, mention this podcast, and he will throw in a free custom-made shirt. That's worth a couple hundred dollars, folks. That's free money in your pocket. That's a nice thing to have. Mention the ad, buy a suit or a sports coat, free custom-made shirt. And again, as always, no matter where you are in the country listening to us, If you're one of the thousands in the southeast, if you're one of the hundreds on the left coast, if you're one of the however many in the northeast, it doesn't matter. Brent can come to you. Just schedule an appointment. Mention you heard about it on the J.C. Morgan podcast and mention you want your free custom-made shirt with that suit or sports coat. And he will come out to you and make sure you are custom 
custom made with your suits, your shirts, your accessories, no matter what the case may be. Go to the website to set up the appointment, bpskinnerclothiers.com. You'll see the phone number. Either Brent or one of the representatives will answer your phone call to set up an appointment, and you'll be good to go. Make the difference. Enjoy the difference. I know I have and so many other people have that Brent Skinner can supply. Again, that's bpskinnerclothiers.com. JC, some final thoughts on this week and when you're looking forward to in week two. Um, yeah, you know, unpredictability in uh, week one. And um, like I said, I give the group of five crap sometimes. I think they need their own playoff. But, you know, when you go and you beat the big boys, I, I think in, in the kind of the, the world we're in now, it's good for the game. Um, I think that, uh, you know, if you're disappointed in week one, it's better to be disappointed in week one than week ten. <laughs> uh, you know, some schools lose openers, and and I've seen programs tank. You know, go into a tailspin. They're sitting there at zero and seven, and they're like all kinds of changes, and you know the bottom falls out. I've also seen teams lose openers and rally. And I say this all the time to people: in two thousand and seven, Appalachian State went to the Big House and beat Michigan. Everybody talks about it every time App State plays a game. They play the the video. App State won. Oh, they won. They mm. beat Michigan. Big shocker. Nobody talks about the fact that Michigan team won nine football games. I think it was ten. Ten football games and defeated Florida. And this was the sandwich year for Urban Meyer. He won it all in 06 and 08. But in 07, he had a quarterback named Tim Tebow that won the Heisman Trophy as a sophomore. Florida had some other deficiencies, ended up in the Citrus Bowl. And Michigan team beat the Mighty Gators in the Citrus Bowl to end the season. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, so that team lost to App State. Well, so what? You know, that, that's not how they ended, and everybody remembers it for that. So everybody's going to remember this Tennessee team for losing to Georgia State, but that doesn't mean Tennessee can't be good. Missouri, it doesn't mean Missouri can't beat West Virginia this weekend and get back on track, you know, that type of thing. So I would just encourage everybody to, you know, I don't want to just be blowing sunshine and be like, stay positive. Stay positive, y'all. <laughs> no, but, uh, you know, it's it's a long season, and, you know, good things will happen. And if you're at an SEC program and good things don't happen all year, chances are you're going to have a coaching search, and, hell, those are fun too. <laughs> especially for uh, for people that do it what we do. They're, yeah. they're especially fun. They're not always good for the program. Yeah, they're, they're more fun than bowl games sometimes. I mean, right. you, know, you know, so. Yeah, well, there, there's no doubt. I think one of our most listened to podcasts was during that whole Tennessee coaching yeah. search the last time because people could not get enough of that. That was that was a, a, a ready for TV, 30 for 30 like special. Uh, and, and now Tennessee has, has got their guy. And look, like you said, to your point, it's one week. No, very few teams are going to go undefeated. Maybe nobody. Uh, usually it's just one of the most and everybody else. You just got to take it. You got to take the, the ups and the downs, the ebbs and the flows. And like you said, the loss in week one seems like it's worse for whatever reason, because you've been waiting all year and you think that this is going to be make or break your season. It's not, you got to be able to bounce back. You got to be able to move on and we'll see some teams that do. And I'll just close with this. The uh, new AP poll is out. Stop me. If you've heard this, Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, Oklahoma, Ohio State, LSU. There's your top six. Uh, Then Michigan, Notre Dame, Texas, and the big mover and shaker, Auburn, up six spots to number 10 
after that win over Oregon. Florida dropped three spots despite a win against Miami. They're 11. A&M, Utah, Washington, Penn State. That is your top 15. The biggest dropper, Oregon, down five slots from 11 to 16. And welcome Boise State to the poll. Oh, yeah. Good job, Boise State. So, no. And Wyoming didn't even get in. Come on, folks. Show the boys in Laramie some love. The mighty Cowboys. <laughs> mighty Cowboys. Somewhere Fennis Dembo is uh, smiling. JC, for those that have not already figured out the podcast world, you've got your fingers all over the pulse of it. What do they need to know about listening to this fine podcast and maybe some others as well? Yeah, you can go uh, go to Apple Podcast iTunes and subscribe. It's absolutely free. You can go uh, on the Stitcher app, which is a podcasting app. You can also go on Google Play if you use an Android. Um, just sort of uh, anywhere you can find podcasts, you can find JC and Morgan. All right. For JC Sherbert, Mike Morgan saying goodbye for now. We will see you next week and each and every week throughout this college football season. Hope your team wins next week, everybody. We'll talk soon.